Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Middleton, along with Big Bad Billy Schaefer. Glad to have you on board because you've tuned into a show unlike any other, one that offers up three things that we all need and nobody seems to get enough of, hope, inspiration, and possibility. That's what we call growing bolder, and it just might change your life. Now, whether you've been thinking about changing jobs, starting a hobby, taking an adventure vacation, or stepping up to face personal or physical challenges, over the next hour, you will find critical information and invaluable motivation. How can you not listen to that? In fact, coming up on this program, we'll get it in the form of a guy who's a neuroscientist and musician who can help us kind of defrag our own brains from information overload and some surprising fashion tips from an 82-year-old who Cosmo says is the goddess of style. Also, a preventative medicine specialist on how to live longer and healthier. Amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bold. Can I ask you a quick question? Think back to when you were little. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Maybe an astronaut, a baseball player, a firefighter. How many of us actually grew up and did it? Well, we're about to talk to somebody who did it. And boy, has he done it very well. He has. He's hilarious. He's a stand-up comedian who's been at it since the late 70s. He's done tons of TV, some movies, and he's just come off a record-setting 10-year stint at the Flamingo in Vegas. This guy's had so many amazing experiences. He's learned tons of valuable life lessons, and they're all part of a great book he's written called Laugh It Off. We're thrilled to have George Wallace with us. George, how you doing? Hello, guys. How you doing? What's going on? Hey, the first question I'm sure everybody throws at you. When you first came up, did you ever think about maybe changing your name? No way. You know, when I, my name is Henry Wallace, and I went to uh, Hollywood, and Henry Wallace is already in the union and SAG, so I had to change it. And my dad is George Wallace, and there are nine George Wallaces in the family. I said, I'm going to make that a good name, because at the time, <laughs> the governor of Alabama was the only George Wallace. But now... <laughs> I'm the other George Wallace. How about that? All right. You are the one and only in our book, George. Uh, you know, we want to talk about you. have you. a book, too? No, no, no. <laughs> you uh, do have a book. I do have a book, but it's there's nothing funny about it. We do want to talk about yours. But before we do, you you are very good friends with Robin Williams. Uh, we've got to get a reaction to you uh, on his tragic death. Yes, that's what everybody's talking about today, Robin Williams. Of course, a great guy. And a wonderful, one of the greatest comedians ever. And I'm sorry people didn't get to see him in his greatest element, which was, you know, you saw him in the movies, you saw him on television, you saw him stand up. But I wish everybody could have seen this guy do uh, improv. Oh, the greatest guy in the world. And as you can see, he was always on. That was a bad thing. He was always on. And uh, uh, I don't know what happened, but... uh, these things happen, and uh, God bless him, we're going to miss him. Well, uh, he was 63. You are 62. There's no way you came up without, you know, being in his in his universe somehow, being in his orbit. Right. He, Richard Pryor, Sam Kennison, all of those guys, we all grew up together at the comedy store. They were a separate group. Myself, Seinfeld, Letterman, and, and Leno, we were a different group. They hung out in the back of the store. We hung out in the front of the store, if you get my drift. They were doing their things, and... Unfortunately, uh, 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 doing some the dark side is that uh, uh, smoking or whatever that can it really can get you into trouble. You know that's the dark side. Let's just tell the truth and be honest. You know, you know. And, uh, and I'm sorry he was serving with this, uh, uh, living with this depression, and uh, uh, you just never know what people are going through. You know, no matter you can talk to them, you can live with them, and you don't know what's going on. His wife, you don't know what they're going through. And isn't it interesting, George? I mean, it, it makes it more poignant even to talk about your book, which is called Laugh It Off. Is it hard for a comedian to learn to just laugh it off? It's kind of hard and difficult for a lot of people, but I'm so glad to have grown up in this, in Atlanta, Georgia, with two loving parents, which left me by the time I was 18 years old. Both parents were gone. But thank God they had instilled in me to make sure I enjoy my life and, and just... Do the right thing, too. If you just do the right thing in life, stay away from the people that you know are bad. Stay away from the chemicals that you know are bad. And just try to live a good life and then work toward your goals. And I'm the most successful comedian you've ever talked to. It's not how much money you make. It's how you enjoy your life while you're living, you know? 
boy, he is a smart man. He's also a guy, folks, that is not afraid to take a risk, which I think always comes back to having a great deal of self-confidence. I mean, George, you've worked for an ad agency. You've toured extensively. You did a 10-year stint at the Flamingo in Vegas. Uh, you've written a book. You considered entering politics. I mean, is there anything that you wouldn't consider doing? Yeah, the last one, entering politics. There's no way in hell. If I were to enter politics, I'd straighten this country out. But people would like me, too. You know, just so, so many simple things we could do to get done in life. I don't know what they're doing in Washington. You know, these guys go to Washington to represent us, and they wind up representing themselves. You know, there's just absolutely nothing been done in Washington. But I'm so crazy that my ideas would be so crazy that I don't know whether I'd work in Washington or not because I'd break all the rules. Just get it done. You know what I'm saying? Just get it done. Yeah, I wish they'd follow your advice. Maybe it is time for politics, George. We'll talk you into that later. But, you know, we're all starting to get a little long in the tooth these days. And you talked about the guys you came up with. We're all now in our in our 60s here. What's, what's that like? Is aging good for a comedian? Can aging be funny? Yeah, aging can be funny because you know everything. When you first start out, all you know is talk about sex and snot and whatever <laughs> because you, have, you don't have the experience. But once you grow older, you go into paying bills, you see exactly what's happening, how people are treating each other. And, you know, I'm an old-school guy, and basically, if you go by these rules, do unto others as you have them do unto you, you can't go wrong. You can't, It's just that simple. You can't go wrong. And um, But you, you learn a lot as you grow. As Richard Price said, you don't, you, don't, you don't get old by being a fool, you know. You know, it's always funny. All, all you comedians have kind of a different perception on life, uh, different observation. You know, one of the things that you've, uh, you know, made very, very popular is is your bit, people say the stupidest things. Uh, you know, are we getting any smarter, or do you still find that to be comedy gold? <laughs> we are getting smarter, but people still say stupid things, I can tell you that. Uh, like, uh, we're having some uh, floods out here in uh, Las Vegas, and a lady came into the show, and she said, it's raining outside, and I'm looking at it like, duh. What the hell else would it be raining? Just a little thing. I think you can't say anything around me. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the airport yesterday. A man said, "Miss Wallace, you in town?" And you just have to look at these people when they say stupid stuff. <laughs> I'm in the airport. Another guy said, "Miss Wallace, why are you at the airport? You going somewhere?" Just stupid stuff people say. The weather man can say stupid stuff. My good friend Anderson Cooper said something very stupid last year at the uh, Hurricane Sandy going through New York. Three hundred houses were wiped off the block, and he asked some of the people standing around. Have you ever seen anything like this before? You just have to laugh when people say stupid stuff like that. So it keeps me laughing. That is my job, to to keep people laughing no matter what the situation is. And thank God for laughter. Laughter is the greatest medicine in the world. That's why I wrote the book, Laugh It Off. Do you know you can't even, you can't smile without feeling better? I want you to go ahead and try it. Go ahead and try it, Mark. Go ahead and try it, uh, big guy. Try to laugh. You can't even fake a smile without feeling better. So that's why I'm teaching people laugh it off no matter what the situation is. Laughter is the greatest medicine in the world. Plus, it's free. Medicine, med- uh, laughter is free medicine. So that's why I encourage everybody to go ahead and overdose on laughter. <laughs> Keep it in the reach of children. Take- if you're laughing for more than four hours, then you call your doctor. <laughs> Take give that. The doctor the same, give the doctor the same prescription so the doctor can laugh with you. It was a study. There was a study last week proving that laughter can bolster your immune system. It keeps you. It keeps you happy. Laughter is great. So no matter what it is, even in the times of death, you think about the good times you had with your loved ones. It will always outweigh the bad times. That's why I'm one of the happiest people in the world. Robin is gone, but I'm happy to him. Uh, and to have known him and to hang out with him. And I think about all the great times he had, and you think about all of the great movies and the stand-up. So it gives us reason to to, uh, to smile. And I thank God for uh, letting me be a part of Robin's life. Well, we need George Wallace today. We need him as, as much as we ever did. You're just coming off a 10-year a stint in Vegas. You've done TV, movies. What do you do next, George? Where do you look to try to, to, try to find a, the audience and a way to reach them? Most of all, I'm like I said, I'm the most blessed person you've ever met. I went to the Flamingo, and you know, I'm not, I'm different than the other entertainers. I did not work for the hotels in Las Vegas. I owned the show. I did all of the marketing. I did all of the advertising. I did all of the programming, everything, and I did the show. So I was completely different. And um, and now what I want to do is uh, being successful here in Las Vegas. Now I want to go back to television and movies like I just did. I'm taking small roles and until I get that big role. I want to do everything Morgan Freeman and Samuel Jackson are doing. They're getting old, and I want to, I'm want i as old as they are, but people don't know that. But <laughs> I want to do those roles and things like that. And I'm doing um, 
coming all over America, getting back out into America, reinventing the brand, George Wallace. I missed the whole generation of young people uh, being here for 10 years, but uh, I'm still having fun, and uh, the shows are sold out wherever I'm going. Plus, I work for the, the Pentagon. I'm giving back to the troops. It's an honor for me to go and give uh, laughter to the troops all over the world. I just come in from the Philippines, just come in from Guam, Hawaii, South Korea. I even went across to North Korea. Can you believe that? So it's been an honor to go out and serve the troops. These kids go out and give their lives for uh, for, for for our country. And uh, and everywhere I am, the place is just jam-packed, sold out, young, old, black, and white. That's one thing I do. My audience is different than most audiences. So the Pentagon is really having fun with George Wallace, serving everybody. The shows are just packed. Young people, the colonels can come out and bring the kids, the commander. It's wonderful. I'm so blessed. Man. You know, Comedy Central named this guy one of the greatest comedians of all time. I didn't realize he was one of the greatest guys of all time. You know, George, what a pleasure it is to learn more about you. I don't know if you've ever given a commencement speech at a major university, but you yes. But what, what do you say? Yes, I, I have. I'm I, curious. What's I your message? Young kids, make sure, I teach young kids, make sure you enjoy your life. Just because you have a degree in marketing doesn't mean you won't have to do statistical analysis the rest of your life. You just might enjoy Fixing, uh, arranging flowers, fixing refrigerators, painting cars. Make sure you enjoy your life. When you do what you love doing, you honor your essence. Go out there and show people what you love to do. Don't worry about the money. The money will come. Look at the jobs we have with the media. Look at you you guys in the morning, making people laugh and making people happy. So aren't we blessed to go to work and do something we love doing? And, George, you are a great advocate for growing bolder because that's what you do every step of the way. And you and you got to live life every day because, you know, we come into this world with a birth certificate, but we don't have an expiration date. But if you keep on living, you're going to die. You understand what I'm saying? That's why you got to live every day and have fun and laugh it off. No, you keep laughing in your life. You find people that love to laugh. They're just always happy. When you walk into a room, somebody should be want to smile. Oh, you know, sometimes you walk into the room, people say, uh, speaking of the devil, that's another stupid thing people say. Speaking of the devil, your best friend just walked through the door. Speaking of the devil, but you got to go out and enjoy every day and just make sure you keep laughing in your lives. Well, let me tell you this, George. You never know what to expect in an interview, but you have far exceeded the expectations of us and our audience. We cannot wait to go out and get the book. It's called Laugh It Off. We're going to look for you in movies that get bigger and bigger and hope your influence gets larger and larger. Great to visit with the always interesting always inspiring George Wallace. Up next, making the world a more peaceful place one film at a time. This is Growing Bolder. Hi, it's Mark Middleton with a big announcement. A live version of our award-winning PBS program, Launchpad to What's Next, is coming to the Pew Theater at the Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Center on Wednesday, April 1st at 7 p.m., one night only. Launchpad Live is a high-energy, motivational, and entertainment extravaganza featuring our team of national thought leaders inspiring you to discover what's next in your life. Tickets are now on sale, but they will go fast. Every seat in the house is just $40, so reserve yours now at growingbolder.com slash launchpad live. You're listening to Growing Boulder Radio. That's Mark, and I'm Bill, and we have discovered that there are all kinds of people out there. You probably know some like this them yourself, some who love attention and some who just hate it. Well, here's a story that shows you don't always have to stand in the spotlight to be able to make a big difference. Yeah, it's a story about a person very happy to actually live behind the scenes. Uh, and her life is really all about film. She's not an actor. She's not a director. She's not a filmmaker at all. Yet, if things go the way that she hopes they do, she's out to change the very way we define the word peace through her Global Peace Film Festival, which is held every year in Orlando. It's a dream she's had for a while now. In fact, if you trace the roots, which we did, they go all the way back to when she was just a little girl. For as long as she can remember, all the way back to her early childhood, Nina Strike has been fascinated by films mesmerized by movies. I went from wanting to be a ballerina to wanting to be a director. Um, by the time I was about 11, that was what I wanted to do. It was a childhood obsession that turned into a teenager's dream. 
I wanted to make the film that changed the world. She wanted to document everything, but she also had another passion. Nina was driven to fight injustice. It's why in 1982 she joined a protest against nuclear weapons, but marching wasn't enough. So she appointed herself media coordinator, which was news to the organizers. I just walked into the guy who was hiring's office and I said, you gotta get somebody to start right now. I'm starting right now. He had somebody else he was waiting for and he said, he, he said, well, I'll give you a two week trial period. Is that okay? And I said, no, it's not okay but I'll take it because you need somebody right now. It was the start of what would be a brilliant career. She became one of the first women trailer editors. She became deputy film commissioner in New York, and she discovered she had an amazing ability to connect important causes to important people. People from, not only from all over the world, but, but the best musicians in the world, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, uh, James Taylor. And she's worked with political heavyweights like Tipper Gore, Michael Dukakis, and Bill Clinton. Global players like Mikhail Gorbachev and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And she's enlisted the efforts of Hollywood types like Harry Belafonte, Peter Yarrow, Colleen Dewhurst, and Mandy Patinkin. So when she was asked to help create an annual film festival, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. My real idea was that it had to be positive. It had to be, what are the possibilities? What are we for, not what are we against? And that was, that's absolutely critical. It would be called the Global Peace Film Festival, a name you'd think everyone could get behind, but surprisingly, one that created a lot of complaints. Very much so. It was very much misunderstood. It was taken as something political because of the word peace. And for years, people said, you should just drop the word peace from it. And I was like, no, that's what it's about. I want to redefine peace. I want people of all political persuasions to understand that peace is a, is a very important word. And peace does not mean that, uh, that we're all going to be friends. And peace does not mean that we're all going to agree. But what peace does mean is that we respect each other's differences. It began in 2003 and since has evolved into a catalyst for change. So your festival, as opposed to others, it's not just about coming together, watching these films, and then going home. It's about watching these films and making a difference yes. because of them. Right, right. The festival tagline is, it starts here, and this year we're working with the slogan, don't just sit there, and we're really serious about that. What's the hardest part about being the festival director? Is it apathy? Is it uh, money? Money. Lack thereof. It's Nina's responsibility to find the funds to keep the festival alive, something she feels over the years she's become much better at. I'm approaching 60. I, I can't believe it. I just don't believe it. But anyway, one of, the, one of the wonderful things is learning what you don't know and learning the power of, you know, continued learning and continued exploration. Nina feels like she's just now hitting her prime. Her festival is on the rise, and she's more driven than ever to be the connection between people looking to make a difference and the films that inspire them to do it. I mean, how lucky am I to be able to call that work? To watch films. It's work. That will inspire us to take action. Yeah. It's a pretty good way to make a living. Yeah, isn't it? It's awesome. Did you ever notice that with some people, what you see on the outside is not at all what's going on in the inside? How many times do we look at someone else and think life must be so easy for them? But in truth, you never really know. You know, one surprising example, Mark, is that exercise infomercial icon, Tony Little. You see the guy tanned and fit like he doesn't have a care in the world. But boy, his life has been a string of devastating obstacles. And that's why he partnered up with Growing Boulder to pass along some words of wisdom for us all. Hi, I'm Tony Little, entrepreneur, author, infomercial icon, and America's fitness trainer. When it comes to people, we all have dreams. The problems come if those dreams turn into nightmares, and they can, because, well, that's just what dreams sometimes do. But you know what? If you hold on to those dreams, you'll find something incredible. The nightmares resolve. It's not always easy, and it's not always overnight. But if you hang on to them, they will resolve. 
Mine have gone back and forth many times, in the most bizarre ways. I was a bodybuilding champ. Life was great. Then out of the blue, I got hit by a school bus, and the driver was drunk. Bye-bye, bodybuilding career. But the dreams continued. Now they were about fitness, and not just mine, but yours. I dreamed if I could get on television, I could be a great motivator. And I did it all by myself. I earned the money by cleaning gyms. I found a way to make my own videos. I found a way to do my own commercials, my own infomercials, and the dreams came true. And the best part is I've helped change a lot of lives out there for the better. If I can do it, you can find a way to do it too. Find a way to make a difference. Start growing bolder now. Up next, tips from a preventative medicine physician on what you need to do to age the way he calls successfully. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Well, that's Mark Middleton, and I'm Bill Schaefer, and we're here on Growing Boulder. You know, we used to think, Mark, that living a long life was kind of a fluke that if you made it to a ripe old age, it was partly genetics, but a whole lot of luck thrown in, too. Now, we know we have the ability to create a lot of our own luck through the lifestyle that we live and the choices that we make, not necessarily just when we're old, but the choices we make now. Yeah, great opportunity. And folks, I think to some, Bill, it's a lot of stress because you got to get out there and make these changes. We know that because of the incredible work being done by people like our next guest. He's a preventative medicine physician who specializes in empowering older adults to maximize their unique skills and talents. Boy, is that a growing bolder mission or what? He's a lecturer, a researcher, a consultant and an author. His latest book is Live Long, Die Short, A Guide for Authentic Health and Successful Aging. Let's find out more as we welcome Dr. Roger Landry. Hey, Doc, how are you? I am well. What an honor, guys. You're doing such great work. I couldn't be happier being on your show. Well, we're thrilled to have you, so thank you for taking the time to share with us much of what you've learned. And I guess that's the first question. How much do we control the length of our lives? What a surprise it was when the MacArthur Foundation studied this for 10 years between 80s and 90s, and all subsequent research has validated it. It's lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. Seventy percent of how we age is determined by the choices we make every day. Only 30 by genes, and as we get older, that 30 becomes even less. And so this, this is remarkable, and it's optimistic, isn't it? It is. It's your sweet spot, what you guys talk about. Well, it's okay if we can take a pill for the 70%, but if you're telling us we actually have to do something, I'm not sure how much we'll take advantage of it. <laughs> well, you got to, you know. It's about quality of life. You know, these are, these are things that are not difficult to do. It's like keeping moving and keep learning and stay socially connected and have a purpose. That's not too tough. In fact, it's fun. You know, we should work together a little bit here, Doc, because we love having you on because you're saying exactly what Bill and I say all the time. We say it because we tell the stories of people who live it. Uh, you say it because you've got the academic background, the, the medical research to back it up. And, you know, those two pieces really need to go together because, as we know, people don't pay a lot of attention to doctors many times when they should, whereas the example of an ordinary person living an extraordinary life is very powerful. It is very powerful, and, and the book I just finished, I knew I could not write that without stories, and you are, de- you are spot on in telling your stories, and very powerful, 
and I had to anything I said, I felt I had to tell a story that that uh, that that typified that. I, I've got a great one, by the way. I, I met Chuck Yeager, you know, once, and uh, in fact, we're still friends. When I was in the military, I did a physical on him, and uh, he started telling me all the things he had done, and um, and he said, you know, on the 50th anniversary of breaking the sound barrier, I'm going to do it again, and. I was young and stupid, but thought I knew everything and said, but Chuck, you're going to be 73 years old then. And he looked at me. This is the right stuff, Chuck Yeager. He looked at me and said, what's your point? Exactly, right? You know, if we if we attach all sort of negative things to a number or that we only think aging is about to climb, that's probably what's going to happen. But if we don't, different things will happen. Talking to Dr. Roger Landry, he's written a great new book, and I understand, Doc, about half of it. It's called Live Long, Die Short. What's the die short part? Well, die short in public health terms is called a compression of morbidity. I don't think that would have been a great title to you, compression of morbidity. <laughs> it, uh, but it, what it signifies, morbidity is when we're sick and impaired. And we want to compress that time rather than the stereotype of aging, that aging is about this long road of decline from chronic diseases now that's expensive and degrading and, uh, and, and not any, any of us look forward to. We would rather stay at high levels of performance and really make that time where we are impaired or the end of our life a very, very short time. So let's compress our morbidity. And how do we do that? lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. You know, folks, are you getting this? And these are the stories that we tell. You know, Bill, what comes to mind is a guy like Banana George. Now, you know, Banana George likely was going to die when he was 94 no matter what, uh, but he lived, he was barefoot water skiing at 93, and when he went, he went in a hurry, and who wouldn't want to live like that? He was the Chuck Yeager of water skiers <laughs> because he, he defied his age. He didn't want to hear about it, right, Doc? That's exactly right. I don't know if you, you probably know this story, but Ellen Langer is a Harvard researcher, and she did a, a classic study back in the 70s where she, she – oh, no, it wasn't in the 70s. It was a little later than that, but she took guys who were in their 70s, and she brought them to an environment where she had recreated the world – from 20 years earlier. So they were back in a world when they were 20 years younger. And in one week, these guys, their vision changed, their cognitive skill changed, their, even their photos changed, their hearing changed. They began to act differently, younger, and more vibrant. And it is her opinion, and she's, she's, she's a big researcher and very powerful and very smart. She feels that we, our brains actually rewire itself in order to be consistent with a younger person when we began to think and act and feel like we can be younger than we are. You know, we actually had her on this program, but it's been a while ago, so thank you for reminding us of that. You know, the social cues that we get, uh, the, 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 the input that we receive from the media, from the culture, you know, kind of has brainwashed all of us. Uh, you know, you talk a lot about, Doc, embracing change. Uh, explain to us how that can benefit us and help us to live a better life. Well, it's a, it's a classic stereotype that older, older adults uh, don't like change. Actually, younger adults don't like change all that much either, but they're in a, a time in their life when things are changing, so they're more adaptable. But resistance to change is something that makes us sclerotic, it makes us inflexible, and it, 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 frankly, it makes us act older adults and more like the stereotype we, that people right now believe, most people believe. There's another aspect to change, though. You know, some change can look so big, like you present some magnificent stories of people, and the average Joe might say, I can never do that, and yet they can. And the way they do that, I, I, I talk about this a lot in the book, because I learned a lot myself when I was reading about this. It's, it's doing magnificent things one small step at a time, one doable step at a time. The Japanese call this kaitsen, and it means that we, we can make changes that we want to make, we can be successful at it. All we have to do is take smaller bites and eventually get where we're going to go. Just be a little more patient. We can do it. All right. What do we do today? What do we do as soon as we're done listening to you to start changing our lifestyle, to live longer, and to hopefully die short? Well, the research is clear. Uh, as a species, we have lived 99% of the time we were hunter-gatherers, and the lifestyle that those hunter-gatherers had, we're not going to be able to duplicate today relative to how we actually live. But the certain characteristics that we can are very important. These people moved. They moved 
all the time. It wasn't just like an hour at the gym, because if we do an hour at the gym and then sit around looking at a screen the rest of the day, we're still at risk. The challenging brain, we, we know that the brain will respond and rewire itself. It's called neuroplasticity. We can actually, we're the architects of our brain. All we have to do is challenge it. No matter what our age, we can continue to learn. We need to be socially connected, very connected, and as we age, we, we get away from social connection. It just happens. Can't let it happen. It's deadly. And we have to have a purpose in our lives. So let's start making the small steps in our lives that will help us moving, learning, socially connected, and having purpose. Doc, I hope you got a lot of books back in the factory there because there's going to be a big rush on them now. Live long, die short. We want to thank its author, Dr. Roger Landry. Up next, Cosmo called her the goddess of style. Find out what she can do for you. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. And you know, when it comes to your age, do you ever get so caught up in the number that you start to lose sight of the opportunity? You know, instead of thinking in terms of how many years you've lived, why not start thinking about the opportunities that are in front of you right now and in the future? And, Bill, our next guest is a great example of exactly that. I know what you're talking about because age-wise, she's 82. But as far as what she's done, Mark, I mean, she's been an opera singer, marketing director for Cosmopolitan Magazine, a wife, a mom. She is glamorous and witty and wise. And at 82, she's still working as a beauty consultant. She's also in a documentary called Advanced Style, which focuses on only the most fashionable of older women. She's known in circles as the goddess of style. Any way you want to look at it, she is spectacular at 82. Let's say hi to Joyce Carpati. Joyce, how are you? I'm just fine today. Even with the rain, I'm ready to go. But you're 82. I figured you would be miserable and depressed and staying at home and watching television all day. Not at all. I I look forward to the day, and I love being 82, and I just want to go on because you know what? Life is beautiful. All right, here's the deal about corporate America, Joyce. They don't want people to think they can be like you without spending a whole lot of money to get there, without buying anti-aging products. Do you get into that, or are you just like you because this is you? I think I just like being who I am. I I don't buy, I don't believe in this anti-aging anything. I I wear, um, of course I wear some uh, makeup, I don't creams that will give me some moisturizer, but I don't believe in all this idea of anti-aging. In fact, when I see an ad for makeup or whatever, or for your hair, and it says anti-aging, I simply turn the page. So, so, so what do you use? What do you recommend? I think what I do, I recommend a good diet. I recommend good sleep. Um, uh, very, I, I usually use a moisturizer. Um, blush, a lot of eye makeup because that really stands out, the right color lipstick, that's so important. And, you know, uh, loose powder and your hair, the hair is so important. If you have, if you keep your, I keep my regular color, I love gray hair. And uh, I think it fits most women. Of course, if you want to use color, that's your prerogative. But I think uh, less is more. And You know, Joyce, you really are at the forefront of something that is really, really great because not long ago, you know, women tried to dress young. You know, women weren't supposed to have style. These days, you know, thanks to Ari Seth Cohen and others like him, people like you are being celebrated and exposed to the rest of the world through the Internet in this documentary. We see people like you that are so stylish, so fashionable. How would you describe your style? Well, I've always felt that less 
is more. I um, I think that um, there's a greater strength in being subtle. I don't like myself at this age in, in bows and whatnot. I think a um, a lovely, simple dress is and or a suit is the best thing that a woman can wear. And then uh, she can always have some lovely accessories. And uh, I, you know what I love very much? I think a wonderful hat. Hats should be brought back. I love accessories. I think they can make the outfit. They can make the woman. And I'm speaking about hats um, such as a borsellino. I don't know if uh, many women are familiar with that. Actually, it's an Italian name, and it's a very simple hat. With a, uh, it's made of felt, and it has a wonderful brim that you can put down over one eye and bring some intrigue to you in the suit or the dress that you're wearing. It needs a better name, though. Maybe we should call it the Carpati when you bring it back. Well, that would be a good one. Yes, the, yes, we could do that. Of course, Carpati. We're... Yes, but the Borsellino is a is the name of the hat that's been around for years. But uh, I wouldn't mind having a Carpati hat. Why not? Talking with Joyce Carpati, and you can see why at 82 she's known as the goddess of style. Joyce, can you tell us about, there's one trap that it seems that people always fall into as we age, and it's the difference between looking young and looking good. Ah, the key is looking good, because, let's face it, ladies, you're not going to look young, and who wants to look young? I am who I am, and... uh, I think what you need is the right attitude and that right hat that I mentioned to you and a a wonderful attitude. And I think you can look good at any age. Why would you even think I want to be young? No. And, you know, I love to look at young women and think, oh, how lovely she is. Isn't that the way she wears her hair? It's just lovely to see a young woman who you can admire. But you can admire a woman at any age. And I have to tell you, that very often people come up to me and say, Madam, you're so lovely. And I had one young woman say to me, you must have been a beautiful girl. And I said, well, they tell me so. Oh, but you're still beautiful. You know, so it makes me feel very good. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm watching, you know, a classic movie. She's tremendous. (laughs) But really aging Aging is a wonderful time of your life. You, you have to embrace it, ladies. Be happy who you are. And if you have your family and your friends, just keep them close. You will be a happier person. And life is wonderful. There, there, there's so much out there. And when I get up every morning, I, I'm just happy because I'm here and I can enjoy New York or, or anywhere that I am. You know, this is amazing. I'm almost ready to declare this the greatest interview we've ever done. I know. I want her on my (laughs) alarm clock. So every morning, instead of a buzzer, Joyce Carpati's voice comes on and says how wonderful aging is. That's very sweet of you to say, really. Give us another takeaway, Joyce, because you mentioned a couple of times that it's all about attitude, and I know you've just touched on that a bit, but what is the proper attitude? How do we get more of what you've got? How do we learn to not only embrace aging but to celebrate it? You have to know who you are, and uh, there are things out there that you want to do and that you admire, and and, uh, you get dressed, and you look at yourself, and you say, you know, I look good, and I have a day planned, and I'm going to have a wonderful day, and that is attitude. Plan your day. Be happy you're here. Know what's going on in the world, and that is an attitude. And it, it, it just makes you feel better, no matter what age you are. There is so much out there. I see so many women who are so glum. But, you know, they don't know how. They don't know what to do. But very often I will go out with Ari, and we're invited, and uh, I will speak to women and tell them just what I'm telling you. And when they leave, they're so happy. They look at life differently, and they're ready to go out there face the world, and say, okay, look at me. I'm here. 
You know, it's it's amazing. We have a television show, the Growing Boulder television show as well. But on radio, it's such an interesting phenomenon because all you hear is the passion in somebody's voice. You hear their heart. You hear their personality. And Joyce Carpati is 82 years old, but there's no question on why they call her the goddess of style. She gets it. She understands life. She understands what it means to start growing bolder. Joyce, thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for the wisdom. And, I, you know, I'm speaking for all of us now, but we're going to huddle up and figure out a way to hire you and have you come be part of the Growing Boulder team because you were fantastic. Joyce Carpati, what a blessing. Up next, right now, your brain is under attack by information overload. How to filter that noise is next. This is Growing Boulder. Hi, it's Mark Middleton with a big announcement. A live version of our award-winning PBS program, Launchpad to What's Next, is coming to the Pew Theater at the Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Center on Wednesday, April 1st at 7 p.m., one night only. Launchpad Live is a high-energy, motivational, and entertainment extravaganza featuring our team of national thought leaders inspiring you to discover what's next in your life. Tickets are now on sale, but they will go fast. Every seat in the house is just $40, so reserve yours now at growingbolder.com slash launchpadlive. Hey, you're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And as you know, in this age of information is, is all around us. But do you realize what it's doing to you? Do you have any idea how much information that you take into your brain? Well, guess what? It's at least five times as much as we did 25 years ago. That's the equivalent of reading 175 newspapers every day, folks. We are drowning in data with expectations to make more complex and faster decisions than ever before. My brain is going to blow. Yeah, I love this topic, Bill. And our next guest says you will never be able to cope without making some fundamental changes in the way that you think. Now, this guy is an award-winning neuroscientist who was also an accomplished musician, a rocker who worked as a session player and a sound engineer for people like Roseanne Cash, David Byrne, even Stevie Wonder. His last best-selling book explained why music is such a big part of our lives. It was called This Is Your Brain on Music. His newest book, just as fascinating, folks, it's called The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. Let's welcome Dr. Daniel Levitin. Hey, Doc, how are you? Hi, Mark and Bill. Hey, thank you so much for your time, and let's get right with it. It's hard to believe how much data we are all processing these days. How much can we handle? Well, we can handle less than we're trying to handle. I think that's the message, that um, all of us are doing more than we ever did before, and we're being asked to deal with more information than ever before, and, and I think it's, it's, it's too much for us to be efficient and happy and productive. So, so you know, what is it with all the, 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 the brain experts that tell us we only used 5% of our brain and we can handle more? That's a myth. That's not true. We're using all of our brain and, brains, and we're using it all of the time. Uh, that's, it's, it's never been true that we only used 5%, but it did persist in the media uh, for a, lo- a long time. Uh, what's happening, though, is that the brain can only pay attention, conscious attention, to about three or four things at once. And any more than that, we start to forget things and lose track of things. You know, this is, Mark said, this is an awesome topic, but it's a lot different than, than your last book about what music does to us. Where did this come from, Daniel? Why did you want to dive into this topic? Well, as, as a neuroscientist with broad interests, uh, I've been looking at uh, how, we organ- how the brain organizes the world uh, for all of my career. I tended to focus part of my work on how the brain organizes music, but I've been interested more broadly in the question of why do we pay attention to the things we do and, and, and some things and not others? Why does the brain re- better remember some things and not others? And I, you know, I realize that neuroscientists know a whole lot about this that hasn't trickled down to the average person. And this is information that all of us can use to really take charge of our lives again, to better organize our time, our decision-making, our homes, and our workspaces. 
So I don't think anybody is going to disagree that we've got more input coming in than ever before, and, it, and it's certainly enabled by the technology that we carry with us and that we have around us. Uh, you know, what, what should we do here, doctor? What are you telling us? I mean, you say that we've got too much and it's not good for us. How do we get out of this trap? Well, there are a few things that we can do, and really the book is about that. It balances the science with the, the practical. So one thing we can do is try to externalize information. In other words, try to get stuff out of your head and out there in the world, uh, and you'll feel less overwhelmed. An example of that is very simple. You hear there's going to be rain tomorrow. Don't try to remember to get your umbrella. Take the umbrella out of the closet, put it in front of the front door, and then you won't forget it. You've externalized it. You've put this information in the world. Another example of that is making lists uh, rather than trying to keep them in your head. Because, as you know, if you've got a bunch of things to do and you don't write it down, your brain's going to keep interrupting other things that your brain is doing to remind you, and that's distracting. And there's another uh, method that I use a lot, which, of course, is multitasking, and that helps a great deal. Actually, it doesn't. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought it up, but there's now a lot of research that shows that multitasking is a myth. Uh, like that 5% of your brain thing, uh, we don't actually multitask. We think we're getting a lot done, but according to dozens of studies, we're actually getting less done than if we can focus on one thing, quiet down our mind, quiet down the environment, do one thing, get it done, move on to the next. You know, Bill Schaefer is a brave man. You know, he's read your book, and, you know, he threw that right down the middle knowing you were going to hit it right back into his face. So thank you for not letting him down. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. We, uh, you know, we hear so much about using our brains to... Uh, to delay the onset of dementia, if nothing else. How, how does your research factor into that? What kind of stuff can we do with our brain? Because dementia is now, you know, the biggest fear that baby boomers have, even more so than cancer or cardiac disease. I thought the biggest fear that baby boomers had was the disco would come back. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're waiting on that. Uh, well, so for one thing, I think as as we get older and we find ourselves forgetting things, we have the natural tendency to worry that maybe our, we're suffering cognitive decline. Maybe Alzheimer's is setting in or we're having uh, some problems with our brain. But the research uh, shows that it's probably not the case. It's just that we're being asked to do more and to remember more. Our brains are probably fine. Um, so I think one of the things we can do to keep our brains active is to learn new things, whether it's learning to play an instrument or uh, doing crossword puzzles, uh, learning a new language. Anything that um, keeps our brains active and challenged is, is going to stave off uh, Alzheimer's and, and cognitive decline. You know, it goes both ways, too, even, even with younger people, because I think education is totally based on memorizing. You memorize facts and formulas and dates, but we carry the history of mankind with us in our pockets now on our phones. Do we, do we need to totally change the, what we teach people? That's a great question, and I think we do. Uh, and this is one of the things I'm trying to do at uh, Minerva Schools at KGI, where I'm a dean of arts and humanities. We're imagining a university where we don't uh, shove people's heads full of facts so much as we try and teach them critical thinking to evaluate information as it comes in, to evaluate the quality of the information, and to use that information in creative and productive ways. So education of our young, and this would go all the way back to elementary school, I think we no longer need to teach facts because, as you say, they're readily available, but we do need to teach our children how to use those facts uh, productively and creatively and critically. Daniel, in the final minute that we have here, what about daydreaming? What about meditation? What about techniques that many people use to, to, to basically free their mind? It turns out that the most... The way you can be happiest and most productive is to allow yourself times during the day where you alternate between focus, focused attention, and daydreaming. Daydreaming is restorative. It's where a lot of our most creative problem-solving occurs. Uh, and that, along with uh, that, naps, if, if you like taking naps, naps can be very restorative. There's one study that shows that even a 10-minute nap can increase your effective IQ by 10 points. 
This is a great stuff, as you said, Doc, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, folks, because speaking of the information age, there is a ton of information in his book. It is called The Organized Mind. Great read and great discussion with Dr. Daniel Levitin. More information at daniellevitin.com. Thanks so much. Well, that'll do it for now, but the good news is, folks, Growing Boulder doesn't stop here. In fact, it really is just the beginning. We invite you to check out Growing Boulder TV. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine at growingboulder.com. Be sure to find out why our Facebook page is one of the fastest-growing Facebook pages anywhere. Growing Boulder's everywhere, Mark. Isn't it about time you started Growing Boulder? Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulders Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my mind.